Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Patty. And I'm Trisha. This week we join the Doctor, Joe, the Brig, and Unit as they face off against the Claws of Axos. We'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions, and the villains, and give you our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'll also be including some comments and a score out of five from, well, my mother, <laughs> <laughs> who happened to watch this story with me during the week. I cannot wait for this. <laughs> And if anyone listens to this and wants to give their thoughts, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> so in order to join in the discussion with us and Trisha's mom, uh, you can check us out at Time Teamp. That's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can email us at timetravelingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now, though, I suppose first and foremost, I will give you the story recap, which nearly didn't exist because I accidentally deleted it last night. <laughs> so I had to do the entire thing again today. At least the episode is fresh in your mind. Yes, it is. And we no longer live in the same house, so you're still alive. Pretty much. Pretty much. (laughs) Episode 1. In deep space, an alien craft is making its way towards Earth, and its approach is detected by a radar monitoring station at Unit HQ. Elsewhere in the HQ, the Brigadier is dealing with an investigative delegation sent from the Ministry of Defence, headed by Horatio Chin, that has been tasked with assessing the security threat posed by Unit personnel to Britain. The Doctor arrives just as the Brigadier refuses to give him access to the Doctor's file. The Time Lord then angrily berates Chin for his xenophobic attitude towards outsiders, but their argument is interrupted by the arrival of Joe, who is accompanied by Special Agent Bill Filer. He then informs him that he has been dispatched from Unit HQ in Washington to apprehend the Master, which the Doctor says is pointless as he has more than likely left Earth already. Chin demands to be involved in the briefing, but Filer tells him that he has no jurisdiction in the matter and is therefore a security risk, a statement that seems to be a great insult to Chin. They are then interrupted by Yates, who informs them about the approach of the alien craft. They all go to the radar room and watch as the craft enters Earth's orbit, and the Doctor notes that unusually it seems to be of a variable mass. They determine that it is most likely going to land along the southeast coast of England. Chin returns from phoning the Ministry and informs them that he has been given full control of the situation, and he orders a missile strike to be prepared to shoot it down. Corporal Bell then informs them that there were reports of a sudden freak snowstorm and heavy fog bank in the estimated landing area. Chin orders the missile to be launched, but after a few moments, the radar technician reports that the craft has completely vanished. The doctor orders the flabbergasted Chin to have the missile destroyed lest it hit a civilian target on its way down. The doctor then looks at the radar screen and informs him that the craft has reappeared and has started to land. Chin notes that the craft has landed near the National Power Complex, and so he reasserts his control over the situation by taking command of all unit forces and dismissing Filer, who he threatens to arrest as a security threat. At the landing site, a tramp cycling through the area falls off his bike as the craft flies overhead, and once he collects himself, he goes to investigate the landing site. As he approaches it, a long clawed tentacle reaches out and pulls him inside the craft, where he undergoes analysis by an unseen crew. He is then deemed valueless and is assigned for absorption. Filer arrives at the site a short time later, and he too is taken into the ship when he is distracted by the arrival of Unit, who place a coordinate on the area. They are met by Sir George Hardiman, the head of the power complex, and Windsor, its chief scientist, who warned him about the potential catastrophe that could occur if a fight breaks out so near the complex. The doctor says a fight will probably be unlikely, as the craft appears to have buried most of itself in the ground, a fact that Windsor dubiously double-checks. A message comes through from the craft, which is designated Axos, seeking aid from Earth. Chin orders the Brigadier to launch a full-scale attack, but the Doctor interjects and says that they should at least investigate the craft first. 
Joe was left behind and Yates was placed in command and told to make sure Joe stays in the command van, but he is called out by Benton, who says that they have discovered a body. He goes to investigate and discovers the desiccated body of the tramp, which disintegrates as soon as they touch it. Meanwhile, Joe uses this as an opportunity to escape and enter the craft after the others. As she makes her way through it, she hears Filer's calls for help. Filer is being held in a cell and is held to the floor by more of the claw tentacles, and he notices that he is not alone in the cell, as the master is also a prisoner. Once inside the ship, the doctor is painfully mentally assaulted by an unseen force, which makes note of his alien biology. The brigadier goes to assist him as the assault stops, and together they continue into the core of the ship with Chen, Hardiman, and Windsor. Once they reach the centre, they are greeted by four golden humanoids, an adult male and female, and a teenage male and female. The adult male informs them that they are from the planetary system at the far edge of the galaxy, which has been devastated by solar flares. He tells them that Axos is a living entity and needs nutritional replenishment in order to survive. In return for being allowed to stay and given time for Axos to recover, they offer a sample of a mineral called Axonite, which is nearly limitless potential as both an energy converter and power source. The doctor asks why they didn't use Axonite to absorb the radiation from the solar flare, but the adult male says that it is too late. The doctor's questions are then interrupted by Chin and Windsor, who are eager to see how it works. The male gives them a demonstration by using Axonite to increase and decrease the size of a frog that made its way on board. Meanwhile, as Joe continues her search for Filer, a tendril-covered creature emerges from the wall, causing her to scream in terror. Episode 2 The doctor hears Joe's screams, and he and the brigadier rush off to try and find her. Hardiman and Windsor go to follow them, but they are stopped by Chin, who starts talking to the male about the Axonite. However, the male says that he must go and investigate the disturbance, and once he is gone, Chin tells the others that he intends to stop Unit from interfering any further. The doctor and the brigadier find Joe on the floor, and when she comes to, she tells him about the creature and hearing Filer's voice. The male appears and tells them that they are in close proximity to the energy core of Axos, and the bioelectrical energy it generates would have caused Joe to hallucinate. The doctor reveals his own experience when he entered the ship, but Joe insists that she heard Filer. They then go back to the heart of the ship where they find Chin missing, and the doctor suggests that before they do anything else, they should run some tests on the Axonite. Looking to avoid a conflict, he assures Windsor that he will follow his lead on the investigation. In the cells, Filer is trying to shoot the claws holding him, but the master instead tells him to shoot a ganglion hanging from the wall, which he says is a nerve centre controlling that section of Axos, and if it hits it, it will disrupt Axos's control. After a few attempts, he manages to hit it and they escape, but they are quickly recaptured, with the master demand to be released, seeing that he upheld his side of their bargain. He is ignored as Filer is taken away to the replication section. Chin has gone back to the command van to place a call to the Minister of Defence, but his cocky demeanour is shaken when the Minister reminds him that any fallout from the situation will settle on his shoulders alone. Nevertheless, he assures Chin that he has special powers to act in how he sees fit in the situation, and Chin returns to Axos. Chin meets with the male and tries to broker a deal so that Britain can get the sole rights to Axonite, but he is refused, with the male saying that they desire for all of Earth to benefit from it. Chin assures him that it will be done, and then receives a sample of the Axonite. After he leaves, the humanoid female that gave him the sample melts back into the wall. Chin arrives back at the heart of Axos and informs the others that Britain will be the sole beneficiary of the Axonite, but the Brigadier takes it off him at gunpoint, fully aware of his duplicitous nature. Everyone then leaves Axos and returns to the command van where they are informed by Yates and Benton that the regular army has taken over and Chin takes command, saying that all unit personnel have been arrested. The Brigadier threatens to warn the UN, but Chin orders that they all be placed under close arrest and are then taken away, leaving the Doctor and Joe behind. 
Once they are alone, the doctor asks Joe about the creature she saw, revealing that he believed her the whole time. She shows him a picture that was taken of the tramp and informs him of the discovery of Filer's car near the landing site. The doctor says that he may have suffered the same fate as the tramp, but Joe insists that they go back and demand that the axons let them search the craft. However, Chin arrives and insists that there will be no search and orders them to be taken into custody as well, but Windsor says that the doctor will be assisting him in examining the axonite. Chin then uses the same warning he was given by the minister to threaten Windsor. Back on Axis, the male axon thanks the master for his assistance in locating such a nutrient-rich planet. The master again asks for his release, offering to ensure that the axonite is distributed worldwide in the next 72 hours. However, the axon again refuses, saying that while they initially agreed to destroy the doctor for him, he fails to tell them that the doctor was also a time lord. He leaves just as Filer is thrown back into the cell. Meanwhile, Axos dispatches a duplicate filer to capture the doctor. In the complex, Windsor is showing the doctor around the laboratory, which houses a particle accelerator. Windsor reveals that he has been using it in his preliminary investigations into time travel. The doctor reveals his own experiences, but Windsor is dismissive of his claims, especially when he says he can't remember the exact details. The doctor then suggests bringing the TARDIS to the complex so they can try using the Axonite to power it. He then suggests using the particle accelerator to examine the Axonite, but Windsor refuses, saying he won't risk damaging the machine. Instead, they will run standard spectroscopy tests, which frustrates the Doctor. Later, Windsor reveals that the tests were inconclusive, and the Doctor says that the Axonite is actively resisting them, and the particle accelerator is the best chance of cracking it, and Windsor agrees to go seek permission. Back on Axos, the Master again pleads to be given his freedom to help distribute Axonite. Axos agrees, but holds on to his TARDIS as a precaution against betrayal. The Master is then given back his laser pistol, and he disembarks, unaware that he is being closely followed by Filer, who managed to escape his cell. The Master kills the sentry posted outside Axos and makes his way to a nearby rail bridge, and he hops onto a passing unit truck, and hypnotising the driver to take him back to Unit HQ. Filer, meanwhile, makes his way back to the complex. At Unit HQ, the Master has his enslaved soldier arranged for the TARDIS to be transported back to the complex. While this is being done, the Master goes to the radio room and hypnotizes the operator, convincing him that he has come with a message from the Brigadier that needs to be sent to the UN immediately. In the laboratory, the duplicate filer appears and tries to take the Doctor captive. The Doctor tries to resist, but the duplicate is too strong and he is knocked unconscious when the appearance of the real filer distracts him. The filer tries to shoot his doppelganger, but the bullets are useless and the two engage in a fistfight. The Doctor comes to and tries to intervene and filer calls out a warning as the duplicate charges them. They dive out of the way and the duplicate runs into the open accelerator and is reduced to a foamy mass. The duo then go to where Joe and the Brigadier are being kept captive and bring them up to speed on what happened, including the escape of the Master. Just then, Captain Harker, the commander of the regular army forces, enters and reveals that he's been listening in on the conversation and informs him that he cannot disobey his orders. After he leaves, the Doctor sneaks out and makes his way back to the laboratory where he begins to test the Axonite in the particle accelerator. Unbeknownst to him, Axos is affected by this, as it is a premature activation of its nutrition cycle, and it orders the Axonite to be recovered. The unauthorized use of the accelerator triggers an alarm, which the Brigadier, Joe, and Filer use as a chance to overcome their guards and escape. The Brigadier dispatches the other two to find the Doctor, whilst he goes to contact Unit HQ. They arrive at the lab, but so does Windsor, who tries to stop the Doctor's experiments. He gets electrocuted when he tries to open the accelerator, and the Doctor watches in horror as his body starts to mutate into a form akin to Axos. He then realises that Axos, the Axons and Axonite are all part of the same whole and are a threat to the safety of the planet. Joe calls out a warning as Windsor's mutated body approaches them, 
and they try to escape, but are cornered by a trio of tendril-covered creatures. Episode 3. The creatures converge on the trio, and one of them hits Filer with one of its tendrils, causing him to the collapse to the floor in agony. It then joins with the others as they surround the Doctor and Joe, and upon Axos's command, they de-energize them, rendering them comatose. They are then brought back to Axos. Meanwhile, the Brigadier tries to place a, an emergency message to Unit High Command in Geneva, detailing Chin's plot, but he discovers that a similar message has already been sent. Harker arrives and tries to arrest him again, but the Brigadier informs him that his orders are no longer valid. They then go to the laboratory, where they find Chin and Hardiman talking with an axon. The axon informs them that Windsor was destroyed by an intense blast of radiation, but they have removed the dangerous material. Chin tries to level the blame for the situation at Windsor and Hardiman's feet, but the axon says that they must sort out the blame themselves, or the agreement will be off. Hardiman asks about the Doctor and Joe, but the axon says that the only person present when it arrived was Filer, who was unconscious on the floor. The Brigadier has him taken to the medical bay, and he reveals to Chin that he is now in command of the situation. The Brigadier then orders Harker to release his men so that they can help in the search for Joe and the Doctor. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Joe are being held captive in Axos, and they are informed that the Axonite will be spread across the world in order to absorb all the energy from Earth and leave it a desiccated husk. The Axon reveals that Axonite must be activated within 72 hours after landing, otherwise it won't work, and the Doctor confides in Joe that thanks to Chin's greed, the dispersal won't go ahead. Unfortunately, at that moment, Chin is being berated by the Minister for his schemes to withhold Axonite from the rest of the world. He is then tasked with overseeing the global distribution of Axonite, and if anything else happens, then he will be forced to resign. In the laboratory, the Master has disguised himself as a regular army general, and informs Benton that he is here on a surprise inspection, and that he will contact the Brigadier himself once he is finished. Once he is alone, he enters the TARDIS and is aghast to find the control console dismantled. He then sets about repairing it. Back on Axos, the Doctor is being interrogated in an effort to force him to assist Axos master time and space travel, so that it can feed forever. In return, it offers to remove the blocks placed on his memory by the Time Lords. Axos then threatens to kill Joe by slowly aging her in front of the Doctor, and he relents, begging them to spare her. Axos reverses the process, and the Doctor begins to work on calculations for space-time travel. Axos is able to read these calculations from his mind, as well as the power requirements, and it reveals that it intends to take the required power from the reactor core in the complex. It orders an axon manifestation dealing with Chin to go to the reactor, and it transforms into its tendril creature form as it does so. The Brigadier spots it as he is returning from visiting Filer in the medical bay, where he is informed of everything that happened in the lab. He runs after the creature and helplessly watches as it kills his men guarding the core. He then rushes back to the laboratory to try and find Hardiman. He arrives at the lab and informs Hardiman, Benton and Yates as to what the Axon is doing. As they are discussing what to do, the Master attempts to take off in the TARDIS, but only succeeds in activating the external view screen. He notices the unattended particle accelerator and goes to remove a component from it, but he is spotted by the Brigadier, who orders Benton to get more men, and once they arrive, they go out and arrest him. The Master reveals that he intended to escape from Earth in the Doctor's TARDIS and brought it to the complex as one final insult to the Doctor before he died. Hardiman joins them and says that the power in the core is reaching critical levels, and the Master offers to help in exchange for his freedom. The Brigadier initially refuses, but Hardiman says that they, if they don't do something, then the resulting nuclear explosion will cause widespread devastation. The Brigadier agrees, and the Master explains that he intends to link the accelerator to the TARDIS power console to reroute the power from the core, and once the power console is at critical level, he will force the built-up power back into Axos, who will be destroyed from the resulting surge. Filer arrives and attempts to stop the Master, but the Brigadier stops him, saying that they need to trust him. 
Back on Axos, the Doctor uses the distraction caused by the power drain as a chance to escape, and he goes to find Joe, who he frees from her cell. Together, they make their way through Axos towards the hatch. In the laboratory, Filer asks about Joe and the Doctor, and the Master says that they too will die with Axos. Left with no other choice, the Brigadier and the others watch Han helplessly as the Master prepares to activate the power surge. Episode 4 the Master activates the Surge, and Axos starts to convulse in agony, and its manifestations start to fit between their humanoid and tendril creature forms. The bioelectrical energy generated from its convulsions starts to affect the Doctor and Joe's brains, with Joe receiving the worst of it and going into a hysterical state. The Doctor gets her to focus on his voice and asks her questions to keep her concentration on him as he leads her out of Axos. They successfully get free and make their way back to the complex. In the laboratory, the Master tries to leave, but he is stopped by the Brigadier, who refuses to let him go until they get confirmation Axos is destroyed. Hardiman then reveals that Axos is forcing the power back into the reactor, and he then orders a complete evacuation of the facility before he prepares to disconnect the accelerator in an attempt to prevent an explosion. The Brigadier offers to stay behind to help, but Hardiman sends him away to the control room with the others, saying the complex is his responsibility. Together with the others, the Brigadier watches as he successfully detaches the last power cable, but he is electrocuted and flung over the safety railing when the wrench he was using connects with one of the power conduits. The Master then tries to flee as the others go to tend the body, but he is stopped by the arrival of the Doctor and Joe. Later, the Doctor informs everyone that Axos has spread its tentacles into Earth, and once the Axonite is dispensed, it will begin to feed on Earth and suck it dry along with all life on it. The Doctor says that they have a very slim chance of defeating it, but they will need the Master to help do so. Joe and Filer object, saying that he can't be trusted and he'll most likely kill the Doctor at the first chance he gets. The Doctor reassures them that he'll keep him in check, showing them the Master's confiscated laser pistol. The Brigadier dispatches Yates and Benton to monitor Axos. They drive out to the landing site and set up a video surveillance feed, which connects to the Brigadier's office in the control room. Chin arrives and attempts to look for praise in his handling of the Axonite distribution, but receives none and is shot from the Brigadier informs him of Hardiman's death. In the laboratory... Filer voices his suspicions to Joe and of the two Time Lords, as they have removed all the other technicians and are only conversing amongst themselves. The Doctor leads the Master into the TARDIS and reveals his plan to him, which is to help the Master fix the TARDIS so they can both flee Earth. The Master is surprised by this, and the Doctor says that he doesn't want to die in exile. He also says that if the Master doesn't help him, then he will turn him over to Unit so that he can die along with everyone else. The Master agrees and says that they can use the components from the accelerator to patch the malfunctioning parts in the TARDIS, and the Doctor leaves him to it whilst he goes to calculate their course. Before he goes, though, he takes a flight component with him to prevent the Master from leaving him behind. Outside, Axos has begun to resurface, and the Brigadier orders Benton and Yates to return to the complex. They find their way blocked by several of the tendril creatures, but Benton drives around them as Yates shoots at them with a Bren gun. They find the road blocked by a felled tree, and one of the creatures boards the jeep as Benton reverses back up to the main road. Yates manages to knock it off, but another one jumps on the bonnet of the jeep, blocking Benton's vision. Yates tells him to jump whilst he primes a grenade before following suit and they watch the jeep explode, taking the creature with it. Back in the lab, Filer confronts the doctor about his suspicions, and the doctor confirms them before disarming him with the laser pistol. He then bids Filer, the Brigadier and Joe farewell, telling her that he will miss her especially. The Master commends him on his rootlessness, but the Doctor ignores him and they take off, with Joe banging on the TARDIS door begging him to stay. Yates and Benton appear with the rest of their men, informing the Brigadier that the complex has been overrun, and he orders them to barricade the lab. The creatures break open a part of the door and send a beam of energy into the accelerator, activating it. One of the technicians says that without proper control, the accelerator will keep powering up until it explodes. 
Meanwhile, the Master is shocked when the TARDIS lands inside Axos, and the Doctor says the Master needs to collect his own TARDIS, and he also has a proposition for Axos. He agrees to give the information about space-time travel if it agrees to destroy the High Council of the Time Lords. Axos agrees to linking with the TARDIS in order to achieve this, but stops the Master when he tries to leave, saying that he will be freed once the Doctor gives it what it wants. The Doctor and the Master return to the TARDIS and set about establishing a link. The Master realises that the Doctor intends to trap them all in a time loop, and he flees to his own TARDIS, revealing the Doctor's deception. In the lab, the creatures break in and prove impervious to the grenades and small arms fire of the unit troops. Several of the troops are killed, and just when it looks like everyone else will follow suit, the creatures suddenly vanish from sight, as does Axos itself as a result of the Doctor successfully linking it to the TARDIS. Axos sends two of its tendril creatures into the TARDIS to apprehend the Doctor, and once they have done so, Axos mocks him over the fact that he will be trapped in the time loop as well. The Doctor struggles to reach one of the levers on the console, and he eventually flips it, allowing the TARDIS to break free of the time loop. The TARDIS lands back in the lab moments after everyone else is evacuated due to the imminent explosion. The Doctor exits and sees the readouts from the accelerator and attempts to leave as well, but the exit is blocked by falling debris, forcing him to go back into the TARDIS. Outside, the Brigadier, Joe and the others watch as the explosion destroys the laboratory building, but leaves the rest of the complex intact. They rush back to the site just in time to see the TARDIS dematerialize and the Doctor emerge, commenting on the destructive welcome. Later, the Doctor tries in vain to explain how a time loop is keeping Axos imprisoned, and he reveals that he is uncertain whether or not the Master managed to escape as well. The Brigadier then asks if the Doctor returned to the Earth of his own free will, seeing as how he finally got full control of the TARDIS back, and Joe cuts across his potential lies. He reveals that the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS to always return to Earth, likening the new discovery to being treated like an intergalactic yo-yo. End of the story. So, once again, the unit forces have proved triumphant with the at the expense of several extras. So, <laughs> as always, we'll go to our favorite hangout, the trivia spot, to drown our sorrows. Okay, so, Clause of Axos, air date, 13th of March, the 3rd of April, 1971. Interesting thing I found out while watching the Makey of documentary. This was filmed in January, and that will become very important in a few minutes. The writers of the story are Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Now, they were a writing duo who had never really written anything before. They'd sent in a script to the BBC. It came across Terence's desk. It was a bit mental. But he's like, no, no, these guys will be great. And so he brought them on board and it took many, many iterations to get to where we are now. But they did go on to write seven more stories together for Doctor Who. And Bob actually wrote another one by himself. So their seven stories include The Mutants, The Three Doctors, The Sontaran Experiment, The Hand of Fear, The Invisible Enemy, Underworld, and The Armageddon Factor. The one that Bob wrote by himself is Nightmare of Eden. Now, a lot of those are really good. I'm looking forward to getting to The Mutants, or as I like to call it, The Star Wars Casting Call. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like the three doctors is a it's a landmark episode and i mm. i cannot wait to discuss that one uh Suntar- experiment again introduces a long-running villain which mm. is pretty i think they're a pretty cool villain perfectly honest mm. hand of fear it's uh, i love it and i'm heartbroken by it 
Visible Enemy, another character landmark, Underworld. Underworld and the and the story that follows it, the Sunmakers. Given the plot, I always feel like that they the title should have been reversed for some reason. <laughs> and the Armageddon factor, yeah, that's another. Again, these are all big moments. Yeah. So, because Bob Baker um, was partially responsible for the Invisible Enemy, mm-hmm. which introduced the character of K Nine. He is one of the creators of K9. So there was a period of time, actually around the same time the Sarah Jane Adventures came out, or in season one of the Sarah Jane Adventures, when there was actually an Australian program created called K9. Mm-hmm. And that's why, if you're saying if you are a Sarah Jane Adventures fan, that's why K9 couldn't appear in the Sarah Jane Adventures for two seasons and a bit. He could only appear for small amounts of time because the rights were tied up with this Australian program. Yeah. And as far as I'm aware, the Australian version has got absolutely no connections to Doctor Who whatsoever. I don't think so. I think it's just the idea of a robot dog because it's not mm. even the same like disco yeah, looking it, dog that we like. It's a weird CG. I, I, I don't like I don't like that model of canine. I really no, don't. No, he, he no offense, Bob. He 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 looks weird. So Bob wrote two stories for that program. Mm-hmm. Bob is still with us, uh, but Dave Martin sadly passed away in 2007. The director of the story, we are welcoming back for his fourth and final time, Michael Ferguson. We previously discussed Michael's work in The War Machines, The Seeds of Death, and The Ambassadors of Death. That is some, there's some fantastic directorial credits there. Absolutely. Yeah, and I must say, with... We'll get more into it later, but like <laughs> kudos, Michael. I'm just going to say kudos. Like, yeah. Well done. <laughs> um, the working title of the story include The Gift, also sometimes called Doctor Who and the Gift, or just Gift, The Friendly Invasion, The Axons, and The Vampire from Space. Now, two things, right? Yeah. The Gift is actually the title of a Sarah Jane Adventures episode that this story actually reminded me of a bit. I like, I can't, what happens to that one again? Uh, so that was when the blatherine, the like, yeah, oh, the, the orange the... slitheine gave Sarah Jane this gift of yeah. this plant called rackweed yeah. that would solve world hunger. Mm. So very similar. Um, and it reproduced at a crazy rate yeah. and Luke got sick and whatever. I actually like the, like, I, I like the simplicity and the undertones of the gift. So do I. I kind of wish they'd gone with that. Um, the last title, The Vampire from Space, that was actually used through the production of the first two episodes. And they only oh. changed it when filming began on the third episode because the BBC wanted to avoid the word vampire. Okay. Fair enough. And I suppose it's not really a vampire as such. I mean, I guess it's meant to be like absorbing energy or whatever, but I don't think it's a good... There's other villains that we can use that word for. There, the reason I like the gift so much is because I don't think you've ever seen it or seen references to it. But there's a really good episode of the original Twilight Zone called "To Serve Man," and it deals with like a very similar concept. Right. Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's also got genuinely one of the creepiest endings I have ever seen, and. Like so, to serve man, it's like an alien race. They come down and they offer all these wonderful things, like yo, the end world hunger. They cause world peace. 
man is, essentially relies on these people and as as reward for taking on board all this alien stuff they get brought to the aliens home planet and they have a book and the earth's like greatest linguist tried to translate the book and just as the guy that was the head of that project is about to get on the ship one of his assistants run up and it goes the title is to serve man it's a cookbook the basically humans are being taken to this planet to be eaten and the the guy is basically shoved back onto the ship by one of the aliens and his screams of terror are just whoa so with the axonite and the axons very similar mm. uh feels to it and like that's I, the gift is just such sinister undertones it's it's wonderful yeah i do like that we eventually got a similar ish story with that title in Sarah Jane adventures but i think it would have worked well here as well yeah so i mentioned that Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Um, it went through several iterations. Um, originally, it was pitched as a seven-part story featuring the second Doctor. As about evil aliens who landed in Hyde Park in a skull-shaped spacecraft. It Then there was meant to be spaceship battles. It then went through revisions because, you know, cost being a thing. <laughs> At one point, it <laughs> at one point it involved a spaceship crashing, and the pilot changing into a giant carrot. Right, okay. I'd love to know what Bob and Dave were on, like back in the seventies. Like, yeah, I, they're like... brilliant. <laughs> like I said, over time, it kind of got morphed mm. into the story that we have today. So I mentioned that it was filmed during January, mm-hmm. and during the location filming. You may notice watching the film scenes, so the scenes on location, that the weather is highly variable. Mm-hmm. It's snowing, or there's lots of fog, or it's actually really sunny and dry and whatever, and it's raining. That happened over four days. That snow when that bicyclist is cycling down the road, yeah, that was really there. That fog, that was really there. The lovely sunshine when the... um spaghetti monster axos are attacking the building that was right there and that was over the course of four days <laughs> so when they were reviewing the film they're like the fucking like none of this shit matches up things are meant to happen on the same day or like within minutes of each other the film doesn't match up so it was terrence who like because apparently barry letts was like freaking a small bit hmm. and it was terrence who basically said leave up with me and he wrote in that one line of dialogue that Corporal Bell has, saying that the access arrival prompted the freak weather conditions. Um, apparently, Nicholas Courtney commented that at one point it was so cold that half of his fake mustache fell off. <laughs> Katie Manning has said that it was so cold. And bear in mind, she was wearing a very short skirt. Mm-hmm. The only thing that kept her warm was apparently like John, who was so much taller than her, mm-hmm. would like wrap her in his arms and his cloak and that kept her warm but at one point they were standing around for so long talk about fucking vampire i know (laughs) (laughs) at one point they're all just standing around as you do Mm. when you're waiting to film whatever her shoes froze to the ground jesus and they had to get kettles of water to unfreeze her with that in mind, I feel sorry for the poor bastard playing the tramp who fell into the lake. Yeah, so he was basically told, we want you to cycle really badly. 
and fall in this lake in the middle of January. And so he had a wetsuit on under his clothes. And he said that throughout the day, because the weather was so freaking weird, he was sweating and freezing and sweating and freezing. And because they filmed the actual going in the river later in the day, the the river water actually was warmer than the ambient air temperature by that point. Um, But yeah, like everyone felt incredibly sorry for him. (laughs) I I find the, the Tramp character fascinating because all he ever says, and even upon seeing the you know axos land is like ooh ah ooh ah oh yeah and that's, <laughs> that's fully like... intentional that's fully intentional your man decided to um do that on purpose he's like it's complete nonsense like no one actually speaks like that but apparently <laughs> kids actually really liked the character yeah. um no, no, no one's so interesting n- no one speaks like that other than people that like ambrosia rice pudding <laughs> yeah but like <laughs> even people from that area of the country that have um, that accent or whatever don't actually speak that way yeah i know yeah um the unit mobile hq the little mm. van thing that they have that was actually a bbc outcast a bbc outside broadcast van so the vans that they use for broadcasting uh, with the bbc logos obscured the use of the axonite on the toad to make it bigger and smaller um, that was originally meant to be demonstrated using a rat. I'm glad they went with uh, Toad. I'm... Because I've played uh, a lot of Resident Evil games where there are big mm. frogs that will eat you whole, I would have preferred the rat. Because I have a thing about, like... Yeah, no. I, I know, I know. No. The... <laughs> The accent spaghetti costume may look a bit familiar uh, to some people, uh, even if you Mm -hmm. hadn't seen the story before. If you'd seen The Seeds of Doom, which is a Tom Baker story, Ah. they basically painted it green to make it suitable for that story. Yeah, because I actually, I I did see Seeds before I saw uh, Claws of Access, so yeah. So did I. And I, I did think that it looked very familiar. So, in this episode, we get to see the inside of the TARDIS again. Yay. Hooray. Uh, which is fantastic. Um, the model of shot of the TARDIS itself, uh, of like floating through space, you may notice it has a St. John's Ambulance sticker on it. On the right door as you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was never meant to be there. <laughs> um, so they think that the production Corusium model from the 60s, when that was there, but it wasn't meant to be on it anymore. The new version didn't have that on it. And we actually never see it again until it comes back with the 11th Doctor. So that was the last sighting, apparently, of the St. John's Ambulance logo until 2000. And- 11? Yes. 11. No. 10. 10. 10. Yeah. So, on to our cast. So, we've three people we're going to look at today. So, quite a quick cast summary. So, as Chin, we have Peter Bathurst. This is the second and final appearance for Peter. We did previously see him in The Power of the Daleks. He was the administrator mm. in that story. Peter passed away in 1989. 
Now, as Bill Filer, we have Paul Grist. This is Paul's only Doctor Who acting appearance. His non-Who credits include Emergency War 10, The Champions, Dixon of Dark Green, Zedcars, Barlow at Large, Survivors, and Blake 7. Also, yes, that is his real accent. Okay. On the behind the scenes, okay, it might be slightly exaggerated, but on the behind the scenes, that's exactly what he sounds like when he's talking. I, I could have sworn I saw him in something else, but I just know I recognize none of his filmography. Yeah. Lastly, just to include him because he features quite heavily, even though we won't be discussing him directly as a character, we have the lead axon representative humanoid figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's played by Bernard Holly? Now he actually also provided the voice of Axos, though that was uncredited. This is the second and final Doctor Who acting credit for Bernard. He was also in Tomb of the Cybermen. Mm. Uh, he has also done a number of audio stories, including Big Finishes, The Feast of Axos, where once again he provided the voice of Axos. His non Who credits include Zedkars again. Please, Dang. sir, the tripods, the bill, and doctors. And there's one other person who didn't have a huge contribution to the story, but is a familiar face, and that's mm. David Savile, who played Windsor, our yes. our beloved Lieutenant Carsters from the War Games. Yes, yes, indeed. Who ends up as a weird roly poly mutant monster in a bag? Yeah, that um, that happened. We will be discussing that more later. Um, <laughs> I will actually close off on a final piece of trivia, just because in this particular episode of Time Traveling Team, we are including comments from someone who is not present, mm. that person being my mother. Uh, my mother has never seen Doctor Who, ever. All the time I've watched it, she has bought me Doctor Who things for Christmas and birthdays and whatever. She has never seen the show. Bear that in mind when we get into the character discussion in a minute. <laughs> this is go- like, I love your mother. You know I love your mother. This is going to be <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> so... We now come to the character discussion, but not just any character discussion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, this is so, <laughs> so I I feel it's fair, given the influence she has in both of our lives, that your mother gets the last word. Okay, so, I, I think that makes sense. <laughs> so how about I go first, and yeah. then you, and then your mom? Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, what did you think of the doctor so (laughs) firstly two things one thank god you didn't slap joe because for a second there i thought he might Mm. and the camera cut away now i watched because i (laughs) because i fucked this up and i deleted the file by accident i watched two different copies of clause of access and I thought that one of them might have been a television edit to remove any potential violence. But no, it's mm. the same across the thing. So yeah, it looks like he the camera dropped to show that he was about to slap her. So I'm glad that he didn't do that because that would have been a very, 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 very hard thing to come back from. And two, you prick, you could at least apologize on screen for your deception. 
Um, yeah, like one thing, one thing we do see in this is his duplicitous nature mm. and how he can use it. And like, no, we've seen it done very well by the second Doctor, by Patrick mm. Troughton, in the likes of uh, The Evil of the Daleks. Yeah. Um, granted, no, that was kind of told early on in the story so like you knew that he was probably going to be a good guy for the rest of it whereas here it's like the final episode and plus you know the cape and the laser gun is like you know what <laughs> slightly believable um but one thing i did like i think it's the thing that i like the most from the doctor in the story is that nice true line of self-sacrifice that we mm-hmm. saw from like Dalek's master plan with the time destroyer and seeds of death where the doctor basically resigns himself to the fact that he may die trying to save the earth. Mm. And, you know, his whole thing is like, you know, look, uh, at worst, I'm going to be trapped in here forever with Axos, but I'm going to still at least try and get out. So I like that. Um, and I think given Reese the last couple of years, you got to love the whole England for the English scene. Because well, the doctor's response to the yeah. no, yeah, no, no, but like, but that's the thing. Like, so, like, okay, if, so I touched upon her briefly, but Chin is very xenophobic in the sense of like, you know, what are all these outsiders? You know, what do they represent to England? And the doctor basically says, "My dear Mister Chin, if I could leave here, I would, especially to get away from you know people like you." And he goes, "England for the English, good heavens, man." Hmm. And Chin goes, I have a responsibility to my country. And the doctor says, not to the world. And that's a, like, and from the fact of the point of view with that it's someone from, like, at this point in time, the doctor is a UN representative. Mm. And it's like, you know, you don't, ha- like, you don't have a responsibility to the rest of the world type thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, like, it's a great thing. And, you know, for a lot of people that always say, oh, who was never political? I'm like, again, here's a fucking prime example of it. And again, being very resonant 50 years on. Oh yeah, massive Um, and yeah, like so. One thing that you're going to like in terms of my comments about the characters throughout Claws of Axos is, for me, there isn't a whole lot of new stuff from a from the majority of people, with the exception of one person. There mm-hmm. isn't a whole lot of new stuff to discuss from my end. So I think those are my biggest takeaways is that like you could at least fucking, you know, try and apologize. Although I do love as well, he's trying to explain how a time loop works and he's using twirly hand motions <laughs> to the brigadier. Well, it's no, like, he's recreating the little light that we all yeah. saw on the screen. I was <laughs> 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 just like, God, like, and like, like the doctor, like you tried to be so fucking smart yet you can't explain it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's the, tr- it's the true line which I love, and his um, his argument with Chin at the start. That, that's a, it's just a great scene in the story, and it's a great, great scene in general. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like I said, you know, I love that we get to see his duplicitous nature, because that was something with the second Doctor that, you know, we now see carried over. Um, but also we again see just how badly he wants to leave Earth. Like, yeah. <laughs> The fact that we and, find out at the end that he returned to Earth, not because, okay, he'd escaped Axos and now he was going back, because he had no yeah, fucking yeah. choice. Oh, that's done so well. It's like, you know, like, you know so, so you, came, you, you came back, Doctor, of your own accord? Well, I, Doctor, no. 
<laughs> and it, it's like without even missing a beat it's like no <laughs> it's so good um i loved all his sciencing scenes although i will be honest and this is something it's not against joe specifically it's just something that i got so used to last season in the scenes where the doctor is sciencing it up mm-hmm. i i do miss seeing liz in that yeah do you know um she would have fit in perfectly in the story do you know and i suppose the best example of that is like when he's like leaving the dictation of what he's his experiment on the axonite to windsor because windsor isn't there yeah 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 so that i you know and that's nothing against joe because you know it's a different thing but Hmm. you know i think this would have been a very good story with liz as well oh yeah Um, i think she would have slotted in very nicely Hmm. um Oh my god, the bit where he's watching Joe being aged up. All I can think in my head is Sarah Kingdom. That was a fantastic... Like, I've kind of joked in the last couple of episodes about how he kind of hams up the whole tortured mm. look. This was by far his best performance in terms of that because the the fear in his voice when he says, no, no, stop. Yeah, It's like, like this is the worst thing. that he And, and I, I didn't actually pick up on the Sarah Kingdom illusion. That's a really good... Well, if you think about it, he already watched this happen once before. Mm, he yeah. saw it happen to Sarah. And so, like, for me, I thought that was great. I think I completely agree with you. His facial reactions and stuff like that, they're much more... Restrained. They're still, they're still funny, you know, because he's John Pertwee and that's what he does, mm-hmm. but they're much more tonally appropriate. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, I loved his thing with Joe and I'm going to give you some interesting background information on this when like they were trying to escape and he was like you know seven threes 21 times four 84 whatever that whole thing right i thought that was brilliant because Mm. he didn't resort to slapping her like he said he didn't scream at her or deride her he gave her something to distract her with Mm do you know which i thought was perfectly done now Mm. the interesting thing according to katie manning she remembered, she learned off all the answers. But what they'd done is they'd written on the floor all of the equations that John was meant to do. <laughs> so the numbers, and like times this, minus this, divided by this, whatever. Which was how they were going to do the scene, because he was like leading them out so he could look down mm-hmm. and see the numbers. Then they pumped in a load of uh, dry ice. Yeah. <laughs> And he couldn't see the fucking floor. <laughs> and apparently, he was not amused, which is why, if you follow it closely, at one point, he's clearly just lost it entirely, which is why yeah. he goes back to seven threes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he didn't know what came next. He repeats the cycle. <laughs> which is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, but I do, I, I love that because it's a very, it's a very simple thing. And we see it, you know, that sort of, let your mind do math to distract you from something. We see that a lot in science fiction. I remember specifically seeing it in Sarah Jane Adventures where they're asking Luke to recite pi or whatever. Um, And I like that. The other thing I quite liked in this story was I'm finally getting to see this brotherly dynamic between the doctor, between Doc John and Delgado's master that I'd heard so much about. Because for the last two stories, I haven't really felt it. I thought it was a little bit odd. And again, tonally inappropriate. But I think in this story, they hit that tone quite well for that dynamic. Um, 
And I, I mean, I can now see what everyone bangs on about with these two. Yeah. There's a very kind of like, you know, Picard Q type fucking thing kind of going on there. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like this sort of brotherly dynamic. I'll get into that a bit more when we're talking about the master, but I'm finally starting to see that, which I which I like. I, I, I enjoyed their relationship. So, shall we go to my mother's thoughts on yes, the doctor? Yes, please do. Okay, one of her first comments, and this was said in relation to the doctor and the master. Mm-hmm. If he's a time lord and he's a time lord, what time were they lords of? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> one is Lord of Times Square, and the other one is Time the the, the Condiment. Um, her other comments about the Doctor specifically were: he needs a better wig, <laughs> and he has a terrible lisp. Does he? <laughs> Uh, he does have a very, I wouldn't say he has a lisp, um, but his S's are very um, full-tongued, if you want. like His tongue is pushed far forward when he does his S's. All right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, those, those are my mom's thoughts. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, um, if he's a time lord, <laughs> what time is he a lord of? He needs a better wig. He has a terrible lisp. And there was other comments in passing around, but is he the good guy or the bad guy? (laughs) (laughs) And also because my niece also watches Doctor Who, but she only watches New Who, she's like, so is Mary watching him? I'm like, no, like, he's like James Bond. (laughs) And she's like, oh, okay, I get it now. (laughs) So yeah, my mother's impression of the Doctor. Bad wig, bad lisp. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, cool. So next we have the companions of Joe and the Brigadier. Yes. Uh, so we have Joe. Now, personally, I didn't get a whole lot of anything new from her here. Like she has her nobody puts baby in a corner moment, uh, which is great. And like that does help to drive the plot of the discovery of Filer in Axos. But the only other mm. thing that I really is notable for Joe here is like her heartache at seeing the doctor leave. It's very palpable, mm. especially when she's banging on the door and begging him to come back. And like then there's like this when they go out to the when they when they flee the the power complex and they're mm. there looking back at it just before it blows up. She's like, but what if the doctor comes back? It's like that kind of puppy dog expression, like the like you know waiting for him to return. So I like that part. Yeah. But overall, there's nothing, didn't really see anything new from Joe here, for me anyway. There is a missing scene, apparently, where there was going to be like a meet cute between her and Bill. Hmm. So I think they're meant to be sort of building a sort of, not a relationship, but sort of a dynamic between her and Bill um, that kind of got caught. Um, One of the things for me, I think she starts out great. Her standing up to Chin when she like freaks at Chin, I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like chutzpah we haven't really seen from Joe up to now. Um, again, not in the boys do we put her in the corner. She goes and does her own investigation of Axos. She doesn't let people convince her that she imagined Bill's voice. She's like, mm-hmm. no, I did not hallucinate it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going insane. He was there. And I love all that. It's all very solid, whatever. In the second half, though, 
She is literally just the screaming companion. She yeah. does nothing. She reacts. And that's it. Yeah. She reacts and she's present. And that's it. Which I think is a shame given how much she stood up to Chin at the beginning. And I would have loved to have seen, particularly in the second half, you know, we've seen that, you know, Joe, you know, while the doctor didn't think that she'd make a very good assistant for him, she actually is very good at being an assistant and like sourcing things and doing the reports or whatever. I would have loved to have seen, you know, her face off against Chin again. Mm. You know, where Chin's like, you know, oh, where's this? And she's like, I gave it to the brigadier. It's like it's just her sort of getting getting her back on him again. Because that would have given yeah. her a through line for the story that yeah. I think she was sadly missing. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Do I know my mom's thoughts? Oh, do I ever. <laughs> she also has a terrible wig, according to my mother. <laughs> cool. Also, <laughs> right? Again, my mom has never seen Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. She will likely never see it again, right? So she has watched the Claws of Axos as a completely standalone thing. The point which she kept referring to it as a film, right? right. Even though yeah. she knew it was four distinct episodes of a TV show, right? Yeah. Joel's shifty, and she's clearly not who she's pretending to be. Mum's read of this. Okay. At the start, she thought she was on the side with the good guys, with the doctor and the army guys and whatever. Yeah. But by the end, she thinks she's not. She thinks she's putting it on. <laughs> and that she's playing some long game where she will eventually be proven to be a villain. And her evidence for this was? She just thinks she's shifty. I think <laughs> that may possibly be because she was so out there and engaged in the first half. And then so, like damsel in distress in the second half i think mum saw that second half as being a bit fake <laughs> i and have that this made shifty. <laughs> i had this scenario in my head when you said your mom was saying that she was shifty and i, I can just imagine her mom kind of going well, like look at her her eyes are darting all over the place it's like she's short-sighted mom oh no <laughs> we, like... we did we did talk about that so. <laughs> okay, okay fair enough. <laughs> that did come up like i can't remember what we were talking about uh, I can't remember specifically how the conversation went, but I did say, like, oh, I think it was something, I think, I think she thought like, the clumsiness and stuff was a bit put on. Right. I was like, no, that actress is just clumsy, <laughs> like, because she's sort-sighted. And mum's reaction was, but why did they take her glasses away? If she needs them to see, why did they take them away? And I was like, I don't know, maybe because they didn't want her to look nerdy, maybe. Mm. So I explained about Liz and how Liz had been the very intelligent character. She's like, so this one is meant to be the idiot. I'm like, no, this one is meant to be like, you know, the person asking the questions. And mom was like, okay, okay. But why was get a different actress to play her? Like anyone can wear that wig. Like if she's that much <laughs> Oh god. She was really harsh. <laughs> and starring as Joe the Wig's per- person is Katie Manning. Yeah, and then I had to explain your description of Joe was something for the dads, which involved me explaining to my mother what the phrase something, something for the dads, for the dads. Meant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's for your father at all. <laughs> so yeah, uh, also in a terrible wig and shifty AF, according to my mom. Oh, God, I really wish I had been there. 
I really wish I'd been there. <laughs> so now we, so we have the brigadier. We do. Okay. Now, as we, uh, I don't think we gave a rundown of the characters that we're going to be discussing, but no, for, we'll just keep going. <laughs> yeah, but just to give people a heads up, our best boys, well, our best boy Benton and his. Yeah, he's got Friday Yates. Don't really do a whole lot here. They have one. They have one excellent scene, which is the jeep scene with the machine gun. Which my mom uh, has a comment about that I'll get to later. Excellent, cool. Can I wait for that? But that's about it. Yeah. Although, of uh, course, that jeep scene was very good. Oh, it was amazing. That was uh, yeah. So the brig. No. I think the brig was metagaming here because he seemed to be very on the button in relation to Chin's underhanded deal. I was very happy to pull a gun on him. My thing, my first like five words in my notes about the brig are the smirking. All the smirking. He has clearly learned sass from Liz Shaw in the episodes we ha- where she hasn't been there because the way he deal- he deals with Chin is just, it's perfect. You mean he's learned sass from Liz in this cottage that the tree V somehow managed to Oh, have. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. <laughs> um, but, like, the way he plays Chin and deals with him, because he goes from smirking, le- like, the fact that it opens with him leaning against the cabinet. Sorry, I'm trying to lean and knock my microphone. He's just leaning casually against the cabinet, smirking. And I'm like, this oh, is so brilliant. Good. It, it's, you know, because it, he recognizes Chin for who he is. And we'll get mm-hmm. to Chin in a little bit. Um, but the way he deals with him is just so good. I love the fact that even though he is British, hmm. the Briggs loyalty is to the UN and its ideals. Yeah. He may not be great on po- other political, countries' yeah. customs, yeah. as we talked about mm-hmm. this week, but he is the leader of UNIT, Unit. the United yeah. Nations Intelligence Task Force. And I think what I like here is that with Chin, he knew exactly what type of person Chin is Mm -hmm. and he gave him enough rope to hang himself in Mm -hmm. everything he did. He was perfectly amenable. Yeah. Go in there. Take him to the, you know, Yates, take him to the special private office. What special private office? Yates, fuck off and take him somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a special phone. There is. Yep. Off you off. (laughs) Get him out of my way. But he gives him enough to <laughs> enough rope to hang himself. Uh, you don't have an area of expertise, Chin, unless it's a play area with buckets and sandcastles and spades. <laughs> or like, you know, when Chin comes around later on, he's like, oh, I've been doing your job for you. And he's like, what are we doing? He's like, In the canteen? <laughs> I was like, you know, where were you? The canteen? <gasps> like, oh, it's like the, so good. The, the sassimeter goes off the scale with the break here. And his uh, sass at the end with the doctor, like you mentioned it, like yeah. when the doctor is describing, and I'm the, the, this, the brig knows what this means. Like yeah. the bouncy lights back and forth. Um, but the fact that he's like, you know, so you came back of your own volition. <laughs> and he just has this smirk of lie to me. I fucking dare you. Dare, oh. Um, and like the way that he handles Chin mm. is it just again emphasizes the point that he is loyal to his people yeah. like he refuses to give up the doctor's file because he goes no the doctor is my responsibility and he's got zero tolerance for political bullshit now he 
I can imagine had things gotten to a, a further extent, the Brig would probably have lost his cool and echoed some of the Doctor's sentiments. Hmm. But the Brig was like, again, just leaning casually back, going, no, let him do it. He's the best at it. Yeah. And favorite moment isn't the, the smirking, isn't the sass. In terms of Nicholas Courtney's performance, mm-hmm. my favorite moment is when he turns away just before the Master activates the switch at the end of episode three. Mm-hmm. Because you know that is that is probably one of the hardest decisions he's ever had to make to leave Joe and the Doctor to their fates. Yeah. And he can't even look at it. And he just turns away and again, you know, and it's, it's not even like a sort of like overly dramatic, you know, oh, I can't look. But it's just like the frustration. He just fucking turns away. Um, so this is a great performance from, again, we don't see a whole lot new. We're just talking about the stuff that we know and love. Mm. Maybe a bit more sass from him. But again, we just like to see that nice progression of mm. what we love about the break. There's two things I actually really liked as well in conjunction with the one you've already mentioned. And the stuff we've already talked about. We always talk about how the Brigadier leads from the front. Mm-hmm. And that's just the type of guy that Lethbridge Stewart is. Mm-hmm. And we see that in two different ways in this story. Mm-hmm. From my per- point of view. right? And I don't include him going into Axos because that was as like the leadership was going in. That wasn't yeah. him mm-hmm. running in or whatever. But the first is when they need to disconnect the cables. He offers to stay behind. He's like, cool, what am I doing? And he's immediately rolling up the sleeves, r- willing, willing and ready to jump in, even though he has no fucking clue what to do. Mm. And I hate when he gets... Like, I hate it for him that he was like, yes, he did it. Yeah. And like, and then the poor I, fucker dies. I really wish Sir George Hardiman had a, a much more expansive role in the story because like, mm. that's, an, like, that's a great moment from a lesser supporting character. Mm. That like I would have loved to have like talked about the character at length. It's just like he didn't contribute a whole pile to the rest of the story. Yeah. But yeah, that that the other good... the, the other thing I really liked about the brig in this is when the nuclear base is going to explode. Mm-hmm. He's you know standing at the door, ushering everyone out except mm-hmm. Bill, who I'll get to in a second. Um, they all run downstairs, and Joe and Chin jump in the back of the civilian car and he mm-hmm. immediately hops in the front and drives off. Yeah. He doesn't wait for a van to come get him. He doesn't go to the military van. He takes control. He hops in the driver's seat and goes. And the yeah. exact same going back, he hops right back in that driver's seat. And I don't know, like you don't know what was screamed going down the stairs as they're running out. Like, is that him taking responsibility for the civilians in this action? Is that him just seeing the two civilians jump in the civilian car and him going, well, fuck it, someone has to take care of them and he hops in? Whatever, I think it's it's just so him. Do you know, he doesn't yeah. need to be driven around all the time. No, and he, but that, the brig is very much, you know, first in the field, last out of it type thing. Yeah. Um, my mum's comments about the brig. Mm-hmm. He's cool. That was it. <laughs> Um, I had asked her, what does she think of the military guys? She's like, well, they're military. She wasn't really massively impressed with them one way or the other. And I was like, oh, what about the brigadier? And she's like, oh, yeah, no, he's cool. So I think she liked him. I think she's <laughs> probably one of the few characters that she did actually like <laughs> in the story. Um, no disparaging comments to make about him. Nice. He's cool. Cool. So for the prominent characters, I have Filer. Mm. Would you have put anyone else in there? I wasn't sure where you were going to put Chin. Oh, fuck that guy. He's a villain. Sorry. Just like, fuck him. Okay. 
Cool. I wasn't sure, like, given the scope of the other villains in the story, I wasn't sure where we're going to place them. Um, so yeah, Filer is a prominent character. I would agree. Yeah. No. Like Chin is my Marco Polo in this in this equation. I, I never said he was a good guy. Yeah. I said in comparison. Yeah, that's true. Um, Filer. So, what halfway through the story, I was getting an impression that he was being built up to be like a new companion because he's very present he's very engaged with what's going on you know and it's like he's also he gets away with calling the doctor doc Mm. Mm. only person we've seen since no one really (laughs) did steven call him doc and then he was told not to yeah he was told not to call him doc anymore because the last person that said it was tyler i think in dalek's invasion of earth Mm. and he was like no please don't call me doc (laughs) Um, but like, yeah. So I, I, I just get this like feeling he's being built up, and then it just kind of last act, like last episode, just all kind of fizzles away, and it's like I, I don't, I, I honestly, I don't understand the scene of where himself and Joe are talking, and he's, she's like, you know, oh, well, you got the master. He goes, oh yeah, like your Bill Filer, you know. New York bloodhound and all this type of shit. I'm like, you've completed your assignment, so what the fuck are you bitching about? I think it's the fact that he found him by accident. You know, he didn't actually do an investigation. He found him by accident. <laughs> I, 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 I actually... I, as, uh, okay, I, I can see why... I... I uh, <laughs> I, I have well, actually. We'll have, no, I have no words. I'm sorry. Like you, like you spent the like the first episode talking about how dangerous the master is to the extent of like that. You need a certain security clearance to only fucking discuss him. Mm. You've caught him. Who cares how you fucking caught him? You caught him. I'm just saying that if he's going I, from the like, oh, I, like what a great fucking investigation I did. He found him by accident. He escaped. Then they're helping him. But then he's helping them. And then the master's gone. Jesus. I mean, like, it's not like, you know, in police squad, you know, where, like the guy's holding everyone at fucking gunpoint and Drebin just opens the door into him. And he's like, well, good job, Frank. Oh, thanks. No, <laughs> he woke up and the master was on the wall. <laughs> I was like, well, this is a freebie. <laughs> Have you learned nothing from the myth makers? Have you learned nothing? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I actually kind of grew to like as, as the ep- towards the end of it, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, you just go away, stop. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't that bad. My thing with Filer, so okay, in general, right? Filer, he knows how to play the clearance game, mm-hmm. he clearly gives zero shit about Chin. Yeah. He's not easily dazzled, he's not easily distracted. And he clearly wasn't happy with the way the outcome of with the master went. The fact that like he ran in, mm. they had the master there, and he was told to let him go. And he's like, What the hell do you mean? Like, I thought that was played brilliantly. Like his comment to Joe later, I think, may have been a bad a badly written reaction to the events that happened. And I think it was just presented badly. But my thing is, I'm now convinced 
that um, Paul Grist wasn't on location for the final day of shooting because if you think about it, so the building's going to explode mm-hmm. you, the brigadier ushering everyone out he goes just before Paul so Paul's or Bill's coming he jumps and Bill jumps out after him we mm-hmm. never see Bill again until the very end of the episode he do- yeah. he's not part of the scene of everyone running downstairs and getting in the cars he's not standing in the field watching it blow up and we don't see him when the doctor reappears we only see him back in what is clearly a set. So I wonder if Paul wasn't available for an extra day of location shooting. And I wonder if his character would have been a bit more prominent in that episode if he had been. Maybe. It's interesting. Hmm. Because I did, like, I had a note of it. Where the fuck did he go? Like, did he stay behind? Was he trying to, like, wait for the doctor to be like, you fucking prick? <laughs> like, how did, how did that go and I was like he's just not there yeah like thinking back on it now like I actually didn't pick up on that I just didn't notice that he wasn't there Mm. and what were mother's thoughts on this one mother didn't have a comment about him he was there (laughs) no comment fair enough so we now come on to the villains, and we have Axos, the Master, and Chin. Chin, Chin, and mm. Chin, Chin, and Chin, Chin, Chiru. Mm. So, will we do? How do you want to do this? How would you rank these villains? I I think in the order that I set it out is like Axos is the primary villain, mm. Master is the secondary, and then Chin is the tertiary. Okay, so let's work our way up. So okay, Chin so. first. So, as the story went on. I know maybe it just I completely misread the intention of the character, but he felt like he was becoming across as a parody of that specific type of individual, as opposed to an actual representation of them. What type of individual now specifically are we talking about? So you, the likes of like your Senator Kinsey's from Stargate, like these mm. political these people in positions of power in political office that have certain views in terms of how the military operates and how, you know, again, like England for the English, like very, in this sort of thing, maybe conservative or nationalistic views. And it's us over everyone else in the world, everyone else be damned, we want to get all the benefits. Those type of guys. Mm. Now, they, they, those type of characters paired up against the right hero, they're amazing. Like the chemistry between them, like for again, like... um Ronnie Cox, who was uh, Senator Kinsey, and um, mm. Richard Dean Anderson, Jack O'Neill. Like, just those chemistries are great. But for the portrayal of Chin, it felt like he was being a parody of that character. I mean, like, you know, he comes out at one point eating a fucking chicken drumstick. And... <laughs> I don't know if Chin was meant to be a parody of that type of character specifically. Hmm. I see Chin as being the upper class boys club yeah do you know buddies helping each other you know private school or in the case of the uk public school educated mm-hmm. and i think he's meant to be a representation of the stereotype that can be portrayed from that type of character who hasn't got two fucking neurons firing within his fucking ears mm. do you know he's an idiot who has power because he's friends with people with power yeah, and 
do you know what it is now? It's I've seen by itself, I've seen the England for the English clip a couple of times. So I've probably just taken the context of that discussion and assumed that that's what the character would have been like the entire one way through. So I I can admit like that my perception of the character coming into it is probably in a different light. So when he didn't match up to what I was expecting, I started to view him as a bit of a parody. You know? Mm. Oh, I think he is still definitely England for the English, though. That is a core part of him. He, he, he is, like, because he says to the Axon male that, you know, oh, so we can agree that it's, you know, Axonite for Britain. And he's like, no, it's got to be worldwide. Because, oh, well, you know, okay, fair enough. I can, I can arrange that. Or when he says, oh, I'll make a call to stop all this unit interference. And it's like, you mean unit actually doing their job, which isn't interfering with anything. So it's like there is that xenophobic and like these notions that people are against him or whatever the case may be. But basically, I think what I wanted from that character was I wanted to see the brig go up against Senator Kinsey. That's what I wanted to see. I I would want to see that too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. No, it would be fantastic because like we've seen. If you go all the way back to Doctor Who and the Silurians, the Brig and Lawrence. Mm. No, very different scenario, but it's where it's like, you know, Lawrence's, his whole thing is like, it's his career. And you just see the two of them kind of butting heads over stuff. I loved that chemistry. I loved those scenes. And that's what I was kind of hoping I'd see a representation of here in this one. So, uh, yeah, like I, Chin just annoyed the shit out of me. He didn't, he didn't make me angry. Yeah, so I think the thing with Chin in this, right, and this is why I like the Brigadier's reaction to him so much, mm. is the Brigadier does not take this man seriously because he mm. is not a man to be taken seriously. The fact that he's coming in all bluster, like the fucking England for the English shite, is like the Brigadier doesn't even fucking entertain it. Do you know? He's he's not even getting caught up in that conversation because how can you have a serious conversation with someone on a topic like that? He doesn't even entertain it. And the fact that the brig thinks so little of him and gives him such little credence and respect. That's why I didn't expect him to be a Kinsey type because Kinsey demands respect. Kinsey walks into the room and Jack can make all the jokes he wants, but Kinsey demands respect. Yeah. And Chin doesn't. Do you know who Chin is? Who? Chin is Vernon Dursley. Yes. Yeah, there we go. All bluster. Do this now. No, I'm saying do it now. No thinking of the consequences. No thinking through your action to the next point And always thinking about food. Very much a us for us. Don't liking, not liking other people. Them. Strangers. You know, who is this doctor? Where is he from? Where's his file from? His reaction to um, Filer being American. All of that is basically Vernon Dursley. Yeah. And he also looks like a small bit like Richard Griffiths as well. He does a small bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, mother's opinion of Chin. Yes. Yeah. I said, what do you think about Chin? What about him? There's no change there. You find him now. <laughs> what about him like? Um, didn't see him as a complex individual. 
didn't have any questions about him. Basically saying that people like Chin still exist now. And they do. Not Mm -hmm. even specifically England for the English, but... Just just in general. Yeah. Um, And Mom clearly was like, nope. (laughs) You'll you'll find them anywhere. Every single country's got a gobshite like that. Yeah. So next we have the Master. We do. What are your thoughts on the Master this time around? So I really liked the Master this time around. It's an interesting beginning because it's great to see him under the thumb of someone else to start off with as because like the last couple of weeks we've seen him in command of like the alien menace whereas this time he's subservient to the alien menace and it's great and i love watching him do his like bullshittery to get out of things you know you'll need my help to make this happen you'll need like you don't understand the, the customs of this place i clearly do you know all this type of stuff i can get us a table at this fine restaurant um <laughs> So I I loved seeing that his frustration with the doctors like you know he comes into the TARDIS and it's just like wires everywhere and loose panels and he's just like oh, I can't believe this you know this man is my greatest adversary type shit and yeah like you know just giving out about the TARDIS causing it like you know something only fit for a museum um. But I think my absolute favorite moment from him for the entire story was like, you know, is there anything that we can do? Well, the usual precautions against like a nuclear explosion, you know, sticky tape on the windows, that sort of thing. <laughs> I I love that. I thought that was amazing. So, uh, like, what balls <laughs> to say that? You know, just um, the one question I have about the master though is, where the fuck did he have time? To find a mask. One of his like rubbery masks. I think that Mm -hmm. the master is taking a leaf out of a future doctor's book. And he has transcendental pockets. And he always keeps a spare unit overcoat and mask in his pocket. Just in case he needs it. Alright, I'll buy that. (laughs) (laughs) So, what are your thoughts on the master this week okay again we see the master teaming up with an, en- with an enemy who ultimately uses him and he ends up joining with the doctor against the enemy at the end um i didn't like that the last two times we had it no it makes more sense in this case though because axos captured him this isn't his badly laid plan <laughs> yeah exactly it's axos's plan <laughs> <laughs> and he just happens to be a part of it. Um, so I liked that better. I think it works better with his character that he would have offered up Earth as a way to A, stab the doctor in the back and B, save himself. Yeah. So I think that makes a lot more sense. I think he's very charismatic here. I loved his interactions with the TARDIS. It's very much like this older sibling coming into your bedroom going, what in this shit have you been doing? Like, what the fuck is all this? You can tell, like, that he sort of sees himself as superior to the Doctor in every fucking way. <laughs> like, mm. every way possible. <laughs> and this is just the physical representation of that. <laughs> like, what is the man doing? No wonder this thing doesn't work. You know, all that kind of stuff I think is great. I think his dynamic with the Brigadier is actually very good. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm interested to see that develop a bit more if it does. And yeah, to your point around like you know, do what you normally do and put sticky tape on the windows. Um, I think he's funny. Yeah. Here, you know, in a charming way. Um, that I think his humor in the previous stories kind of fell flat. Mm-hmm. So here, and like even when like the doctor is like, "Oh, you and me together, we'll do it." He's like, "Really? We will?" Because like, no, like, <laughs> and like as soon as he realizes that the doctor is trying to defeat Axos, which he would have had no problem with before, yeah, he's suddenly like, "No, no, no! I don't want to get caught up in your idea. Your idea is stupid. It's going to get us killed. Yeah. I don't want to be part of this." Or whatever, Joe. You know, so I think that was really, really good, and I think I, I liked him much more in this one than I liked him in any of the other ones. Yeah, as you said, like this is where you can actually see what people are talking about now. Mm. Um, there is one moment in it that I really enjoy watching, and it's mm. a very small moment, and I think it's a great representation of the master being like a darker side of the doctor. Mm. It's when like hard like when he's like they're doing the power reroute from the core into the TARDIS to shoot it back to Axos. Yeah. And like Hardeman is like gonna go like, you know, like we can't go much higher, we'll risk the cables. And the doc- and the master just goes, risk the cables, man, you have to risk everything, you've got no choice. That's something like very doctorish to say. Yes. And I think it speaks to the chemistry of Delgado and Pertwee that they do seem like opposites of each other right they're the they're, they're reflection he's like just like that two sides of the same coin that darker reflection of oneself i can see pertwee saying that very same line in a different in a similar scenario yeah oh totally very much so yeah so mom's turn mother did have a comment mm-hmm. <laughs> well the costume people could have done a better job with him just slap him in black and set him off on his way. <laughs> Everyone else got a nice costume. He's just slap him in black and send the She's like, it's like he wandered off half finished. I really want to watch Genesis of the Daleks with your mom now. It's a bit away, but fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> And lastly, we have Axos. So we have, I have three separate little notes and then an overall. So I have a little note on ship Axos, humanoid Axos, and spaghetti monster Axos. Okay. And then I have a little overall thing on Axos as a entity. Mm-hmm. Ship Axos, Proto Moya. Moya, for anyone who hasn't watched it, the living ship from Farscape fantastic science fiction program highly recommend i would i okay i'm going to say that the concept of a living spaceship probably predates who but i think Mm. this is probably bush this one is probably definitely the first big screen Mm. version like that it's like oh yeah like definitely this is like a precursor to stuff like moya and say like the leviathan hive ships from the world of warhammer things like that Mm. Um, also, it kind of reminded me, and this may have been because I'd watched the Honest trailer for Dune. It kind of reminded me as if it belonged in Dune. Mm. A little yeah, bit. I can see that. Um, the humanoid Axos or Axons or whatever the fuck they call themselves. Axons. Axons. Axon. Axon. Ax- Damn it, um, you beat me to it. You fucking beat me to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> 
kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah. Not gonna lie. The big giant half ping pong gold eyeballs. Kind of yeah. creepy. Mm-hmm. Sorry, they all have golden perms, gold skinned, but they don't have regular eyes. They've got big, huge fried eggs that are completely gold for eyes. And they're just wearing like uh, skin tight suits. And it's the expressionless eyes that really make them creepy, I think. Yeah. So the way Katie Mine described it, um, they looked like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Not anorexic. Begins with A. No, my brain is completely gone. What's the context Someone who has of no the pigment. word? Albino? Albino. Uh, according oh. to Gatorman, they're like albino giraffes. Because <laughs> of the weird colour the, the of their leotard. suits. Yeah. The leotard. Yeah. It's like an albino giraffe. Um, and yeah, the eyes are basically <laughs> ping pong balls that were chopped in half and painted gold. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're kind of creepy. What I was going to say as well is that when they first appear, because it's four of them appear at the beginning, um, but you kind of yeah. see a two shot of like a male figure and a female figure and only because we mentioned uh kinsey already and because uh norm from mission log is currently watching stargate sg1 for the first time they kind of reminded me of you know the um welcome box that sg1 gives new races when they meet them yeah they kind of remind me a little bit of the of the man and woman on that as if they're like you know searching for the baseline species and like what's the baseline of the species and they create the, the human yeah. figures off that. Then we have the spaghetti monsters. Mm-hmm. Who are funny. But I imagine as a child. Were scary as shit. Yeah. Because they shoot the long tendrils out. That can either blow you up. Or just fry you. Um, the, the, their appearances from the wall. I love that sequence. That's really really mm. good. Um, and the fact that they're just. Like. They're essentially just walking mounds of flesh. So they're completely yeah. impervious to convent. Like the only reason they kill one is because they use a jeep to blow it up. Mm. Which Where I thought, the... again, speaking of the amazing Benton and the Eighth scene, like mm. that was fabulous. Yeah. Oh, it was it was great. Um I really love the idea behind Axos. Like mm. it's a vocally sentient entity that can have a multi-form manifestation and be utterly unstoppable unless there's some serious intervention like in this case of the doctor or like you can imagine in the, say the world of marvel like the eternals that will come and just fucking burn it out of the system but it, it also reminds me very much of the thing you know because they replicate and they duplicate yep. and they send all that kind of stuff but Axos i knew you think of that <laughs> yeah of course of course any sort of weird assimilation thing but like access is genuinely terrifying it really is. Mm. And I, I love the fact that the only way that the Doctor can defeat it is by trapping it. Not by killing mm. it or whatever that is, trapping it. And the beauty of it is, is that technically speaking, Axos can come back into the series at any point in time. Because It's interesting that it hasn't, to be honest. Mm. Like, obviously, Big Finish has done some stuff with it, but it's interesting that it yeah. hasn't come back into the main show. The thing that I find interesting about Axos is the fact that it's sentient. Right, you could have very easily tried this exact same story with a non-sentient organism, mm-hmm. 
that crash lands on earth starts absorbing energy and you could have done the same thing and it would have been a good story potentially but what makes the axos such an effective villain is that it's sentient and not only is it sentient it can lie and it can manipulate and that is so interesting in a villain like this absolutely like you know axos i think is like we talked last week about you know which do we think was better the animus or the parasite from the mind of evil Mm. like i kind of think axos kicks the shit out of both of them i think so too because axos can also control other people i don't say it can't but no it can Mm -hmm. control other people like axos is scary because it's duplicitous Mm -hmm. You know, the animus wasn't, the mind of evil wasn't. They were very clearly, yeah. you know, we're evil. Fuck you. And that was it. Whereas this thing, it tries to get your trust. And yeah. it's like, oh, that's so, it's so insidious. It's so good. And that's where I drew the analogy with to serve man. Because the aliens in that, while also terrifying looking, because mm-hmm. they're played by Richard Keel, the, the, the big Jaws guy from the James Bond movies. Um they're they're just like they look very they, they seem very benevolent and all they want to do is help mm-hmm. much like axos is like your know, axonite can do all these wonderful things mm-hmm. so and i looked it up the feast of axos which is like the sequel to this it's mm-hmm. a sixth doctor adventure i really want to listen to that because i like colin baker and i want to really see colin baker as doctor engage with axos mm-hmm. I, I actually missed a very important point in my doctor notes mm-hmm not blaming anyone for that or anything. Um, <laughs> just saying. It was there before someone hit delete. Aye. <laughs> anyway, I love that the minute Axonite is introduced, mm-hmm. the doctor is like, huh. The doctor doesn't believe it. The doctor never buys into it. No. This can create perpetual whatever. Then why did you have an energy problem? Mm-hmm. Then what? And it's constantly. But then, why did you have a problem? Yeah. And speaking to that thing, I really like the moment where the doctor kind of goes, "Well, of course I believed you. I believed you the entire time." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, that really kind of shows, like, there's a huge like the gap of his treatment with of Joe from Terror of the Autons to now is just fucking. It keeps hurtling away from what it was. Mm. Like in this. Like this, that's the leap I would have loved to have seen last week because last week it's clearly defined that it has been a number of weeks, yeah, if not months, since mm-hmm. the previous story. Mm-hmm. And I would have liked to have seen that development then, but I'm like that we are seeing it now. I know we've kind of gotten slightly off topic with the access thing, but I, I had to call that out because I loved the fact that the doctor was like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. This makes no fucking sense. Smart cookie. Mm. Uh, before we go into your mom's comments about Axos, question <laughs> question for you. What a weird line. Go on. Yeah. What what is your thought of the what are your thoughts on the fact that the master is a sequential recurring villain? I'm liking it and I'm not liking it. I'm liking it because we're seeing a villain develop over time mm-hmm. without having to make huge leaps. Yeah. So with the Cybermen and the Daleks, they're often big leaps, whereas this is more incremental. Yeah. I'm not liking it because it's essentially been the same story with him three times in a row. Mm-hmm. He sided with an alien against Earth. 
it goes against him. He has to help the doctor out at the end, and then he escapes. Yeah, Th- that is literally the same thing. Now, this yeah. one is the better one of it in yeah. terms of that component. But I, uh, I really want the next time we see him to be something a little bit more interesting. Like I said, I want to see more of that intelligence that keeps getting hinted at. I want to see more of that. And so the fi- the f- almost the final word, uh, with the final word of the villains goes to man. Yes. This better not give me nightmares. <laughs> was her first comment. <laughs> Bear in mind, we started watching this at about nine o'clock at night. Mm. This better not give me nightmares. She did also, right? So my mom, right, is not one, like, she followed the story okay, and I'll get to that in the overall, her overall comments will address that. But, but she picks out the smallest fucking details that you don't even fucking notice, do you know? Mm-hmm. Um... Like how in the amazing scene with Yates and Benton in the truck, she's commenting how how you know it would have been great if they'd gotten you know proper stunt guys to play the to play the spaghetti monsters. I was like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "Well, you can clearly see him plant his feet to get ready to be thrown back off the truck." And so me and my mom were laughing for five minutes over this guy planting his feet and there's doing a black backflip off a truck. <laughs> and she's like, it's just so stupid. I'm like, he can't fucking see what he's doing. And she's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the makeup of the humanoid Axos, mm-hmm. she just thought it was so shit. <laughs> like, you can see the line where his leotard meets his neck because the makeup doesn't go all the way down. <laughs> And then the when we had um that the first uh axon that that like was sort of changed into the like creature the, the bed sheet the orange bed sheet whatever like I thought she was going to wet herself because she's like what the hell is this to be fair I kind of pissed myself laughing at that as well because it reminded me of a Monty Python sketch where it was. Uh, a world's famous pianist, Sviatoslav Richter, will now play like a concerto whilst escaping from a sack, a pair of handcuffs and three, you know, three lengths of chain. And you just see the sack roll on and then start playing the piano while still in the sack. Yeah, I did tell her about like, you know, it was the 70s. They didn't have a great budget. They were making like, you know, they were making do with what they had. And if you actually um, watch the behind the scenes, um, Michael, you know the director was saying how the company that made the monster suit, like the tech, the process they used was very new mm-hmm. and very innovative. No, <laughs> stupid. Fair enough then. <laughs> yeah, I think what scared her the most was actually the was actually access like ship access opening up and like reaching out and grabbing yeah by the face. I think that freaked her out. Um. But any of the like anything that you sort of interact with, like mm-hmm. this the separate components of Axos, she wasn't a big fan of. Also, she wasn't a big fan of the claws, the claws of Axos, mm-hmm. because she's like they could at least try and like try harder to hold them down. <laughs> like clearly, all you have to do is wiggle a little bit to the left, <laughs> and you're done. 
Just have these actors straining against these rubber claws. They're sort of flapping. It's okay. I can get us out of here. I know some maneuvers. Let's just lean listlessly towards the left. Yeah. So she was a bit harsh. A bit harsh. Right. But um, she hey. gave she gave a score, didn't she? She did give a score, yeah. So how about we scuttle on over <laughs> to, to the overall section? Indeed. So yes, I did do hand crab claw motions, and I scuttled in my chair as we did actually scuttle over to the overall section. So. I think I go, you go, mom goes. Mom to goes, us yeah. yeah. <laughs> to finish us out. Cool. Right. I really enjoyed the concept of the story mm. because, like, anything that's reminiscent of the thing and to serve man, I'm in it. I, I'm, I'm there for it. But the finished product was just a bit meh. I think, like. Mm. Like, there was nothing new in terms of character development from any of the core people. Um, like, I missed seeing Best Boy Benton and his Gal Friday Yates. Uh, like, no, that that truck scene is amazing. It's oh, yeah. excellent. But, like, after seeing Joe's performance last week, I was like, oh, I, like, yeah, this is it. This is the momentum train now for Joe as a character. And it's just, it, no, there's like, <laughs> like, oh, wait, no, next stop is two miles down the road. Fair enough. We're going to leave that off. Um, my, I suppose, disappointment with Chin, which mm. just led to like this, like this fucking bumbling off. It's just annoying the shit out of me more than making me angry. Um, also, like he's fucking disgusting talking with his mouth open and doesn't even have the grace to have a napkin as he's eating a chicken drumstick. <laughs> um, or a plate. Or a plate, yeah. I like the, I like the Brigadier here. Nothing mm. that we haven't seen before, but it's just great seeing him do his thing. Mm. Um, but I just think like, and because of because of the way that Chin was portrayed, I think there was an, a lot of untapped potential for some amazing character interactions, given the characters that we know of. You, you kind mm. of alluded to it as well but with Joe, but with the Brigadier and the Doctor, it just like, there's a, that's a recipe for such amazing drama and dialogue. Mm. Just unfulfilled, unfortunately. Um, but I, like, I love the Axos. I love the concept of it. It's fucking terrifying. And I really want it to come back. I, I mm. do. I really want to see, like, a time loop burst open. And, like, just whatever, whichever doctor, whoever plays the role going forward or whoever comes back, just that sort of almost check off Rat of Can type thing, you know, where he realizes the ship is the Botany Bay. Mm. I just want the doctor to realize this is Axos. Oh dear God! Yeah, <laughs> I want to see that. Um, but the the clear standout is just the actually the master having great a great showing for the master here, mm. because as I said, it's a complete flip reverse of the script from the last week, where he's the one that's subservient, and seeing him trying to bullshit his way out of stuff. Some genuinely funny character moments, you know, sticky tape on the windows. I love that line. Yeah. And I love his, you know, you've got to risk everything, man, kind of dark doctor moment. It's great. So overall, I gave it a 2.5 out of 5. Hmm. It's it's just down the middle for me. Cool. This is a, this is a clip rewatch rather than a full rewatch for me anyway, personally. Hmm. So 
for me, I mean, what a trip. Seriously, I have never touched psychedelics in my life. And after this, it's only going to need to. Um. Yeah, like the, the, the convulsion scene at the start of episode four, where like, mm. you see like the axon heads like just appearing randomly and the mm. creatures and everything, that's done incredibly well. It's done like, so well. The whole thing with Axos is super trippy. Super trippy. Um, I love the brigandness as always, but like the level of it's the smirk. Hmm. I really like like this Courtney smirking, and so like he did it a lot. <laughs> so I was like, yay. Um I think the doctor was also good this time around. I had no complaints for him, which was good. Um I think the whole like buggering off. And then, you know, trying to blase, be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I chose to come back. That's totally him, like, totally yeah. him. Um, particularly when you consider how he, like, went off at the end of Inferno. Mm-hmm. It's very much building on that. That's that's who he is. Yeah. You know? And he's not one to say sorry either. Um, Filer, I thought, was an interesting addition. Mm. Though underutilized in episode four, in my opinion. Yeah, he just fizzled out. Yeah. Which, again, I'm now convinced that he maybe wasn't there for the final day of shooting on film. It's just my thing. And Axis was creepy. A little bit funny, you know, in hindsight, you know. But very creepy. Hmm. And definitely in terms of the um, broader sentient creatures that we've dealt with, definitely yeah, up top, there. Top tier, yeah. Up there. What I didn't like, though... And like you've hinted at it, and Katie Manny actually made a comment in the make of DVD, the make of commentary or documentary on the DVD. She felt some of the character moments were lost to special effects, mm. and I would agree. Um, we didn't have enough of our characters together as the focus. They were in scenes together, but it seemed like more time and attention was being put on the special effects. Yeah, like. One thing that I think I've told you before is, so when I write the summary, I try and make, I try and break the episode, which is usually around 23 minutes. I try to break it into four paragraphs of about, mm. you know, five to six minutes, whatever. The first paragraph for episode one, that encapsulates 11 minutes of the sh- the first episode. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of kind of like technical stuff and like you know special effects or action sequences going on it's mm. like well like whereas compared to episode two that's very dense like the first step ep- mm. the first paragraph is like only three minutes so i want you to imagine for a second mm. imagine this is a six-parter mm. i think it would have worked a lot better i agree i agree because i think we could have seen it would have been very interesting to see Axonite in the in the world, how mm. it's like being utilized, all this kind of stuff. Want this? It could have been a great development for Chin to actually turn into the asshole that I wanted him to be. Mm. Um, yeah, I think a six parter would have worked better. I agree. Yeah. So for me, I was really middle of the roading it. Um, I've given it a three because the bits I loved, mm. I loved. I mm. loved the brig and I cannot give him less than a three <laughs> in this. Um, and I think, you know, while I think the special effects took priority over the characters in a way that I'm not a big fan of, like, fair dues to Michael Ferguson. He gave it welly, like, mm-hmm. he did. you know, he had this fucking weird story and he made something that A, sticks in your mind, but also, 
like it's very visceral and yet psychedelic and whatever is it a good thing for doctor who in the long run no and i hope they don't repeat it but for a one-off like fair dues to him like it was very well done um but think it could have been longer even one more episode even make it a five yeah no extra little bit of character round off joe's character a little bit more you know maybe have her go off on chin again or have her sort of pull bill up by his bootstraps or whatever do you know something like that round that off a little bit i think would have been very very good no um i agree needs (laughs) needs more access (laughs) yeah (laughs) so (laughs) mam's thoughts Mm -hmm. right so i need to explain something so we watched episodes one to three and then my laptop battery died right and i got her thoughts then okay and i'll tell you the thoughts she had then first right so first of all before it ever started she got confused with back to the future she was trying to figure out what doctor who was right and she's like it has time travel i'm like yeah she's like it has an old guy yeah it has a younger man no (laughs) you're thinking of back to the future (laughs) (laughs) and she was like fine the first comment she made was, what's with cutting to the guy on the bicycle? Who's the guy on the bicycle? Why do we care about the guy on the bicycle? And I'm like, it's setting the scene, mom. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, I asked her, like, what did she think of it? And she was very honest. It's not her thing. Yeah. She doesn't do science-y programs in general. And her comment was, this is verbatim, if you like sciencey things, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. But for an idiot like me, it's shit. <laughs> There's nothing to draw her in. Mm. She then said, it has nothing on Mamma Mia. That just gives you an idea of the type yeah. of things my mother watches. Um, she was very critical of the makeup, of the costuming. She wasn't massively impressed by the acting either. All right. Okay. Um, she thought it was very low budget, even in the acting side of things. She was wondering, what the hell do you and I talk about? <laughs> <laughs> because she was like, how do you talk about this? And I'm like, we talk about the characters. And she kind of looked at me as if to go, fucking really? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Do you know what the interesting thing is, though? Well. So last night, I thought I'd be watching the fourth episode on my own mm-hmm. in my room. Mm-hmm. But we came back from dinner. She changed into her pajamas, mm-hmm. got set up on the on the recliner with her blankie, and was waiting for me to hook up the laptop to watch the last episode. Oh, <laughs> so nice. she did watch it through to the end. In fairness to her, um, like I said, I think you know, like, in nineteen seventy, my mom was fifteen, mm. and I'm like, oh, mom, you like, would you have rushed home from school? rushed home from school to watch this and she's like well we didn't have a television so <laughs> i couldn't even if i wanted to um but basically science sci-fi isn't her thing yeah yeah um it is the big takeaway however i did ask her to give it a score mm-hmm. and she gave it a three she's like, it's mm. not her thing to her it wasn't great she thought the effects were kind of shit she thought the makeup was kind of shit 
But she's like, if you like sciencey things, and you're someone like us who's watched it from 1963 onwards, and if you're or if you're someone who can, you know, parse the fact that it was made with the budget of Coronation Street. Yeah, she's like, it's actually really good. She's like, it seems really fun. You seemed to really like the characters. It's a nice long story. And I'm like, I don't know if you're being like. Just trying to pander to me or what? But thanks. <laughs> I have this image of her, like you're know, looking at you, looking at the brig, and her kind of going, "We just stop looking at him like that." <laughs> <laughs> um, I did ask her. I was like, "Yo, so do you understand your daughter now?" And she's like, "Not really." <laughs> she does think she understands you better, though. <laughs> Which I think was just a comment that you're weirder than me. <laughs> I don't know. So she's holding, again, she's holding me responsible for <laughs> something. Um, she does have a question for you, though. Right, okay. It's not a question for you, it's a question for a friend of yours. All right. So our artwork for our podcast was done by a friend of Patty's, mm-hmm. Mark. And so we got to the end of it, and mum was like, so why does Patty's artwork look like the bad guy? She thought your friend modelled your artwork on the master and gave you the doctor's scarf. Because according to her, in the logo, you have evil eyes. Jesus. <laughs> and she's now convinced that you're not meant to be the fourth doctor who my mother has ever has never seen. Mm-hmm. You're meant to be the master because you also have the sonic screwdriver in your hand. And the sonic screwdriver wasn't in the story. But no. the laser gun was. The laser gun was. You, you, like you, you could just tell her like you know, the reason I looked like the him is so that like, you know rather than give it an actual Dinko was very Dink like so Dinko is the guy that uh, did it Dinko Yun, and he is a great artist very and he can be very very accurate and maybe he just decided to spare my palsy face. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah. Where can I patch? You'll have to speak up. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest though, right? Mm. I have never laughed so hard as I did last night and the night before. That's good. Like, it was slightly embarrassing, I'm not going to lie, because she was making all of these comments and I was like, oh, leave it alone. <laughs> it's like, it was made in the 70s. This is before Star Wars. They had no budget. But like, mom was thinking, I think mom was trying to, I think in her head she was thinking like along the lines of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But like, Star Trek of like the next generation era rather yeah. than original, original series. series, which she never watched. She never watched either of those either, yeah. but like she was trying to imagine that type of show. And then she's like, So is this what Mario watches now? And I was like, No. <laughs> she's like, Okay, well, so what's it like now? I'm like, Well, it's 45 minutes. Hmm. It's a single contained story in one episode. And she's like, Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, I just, I just don't get it. <laughs> Um, she is happy to say that she has now watched it. Mm-hmm. She will never watch it again. That's grand. But you know what? She gave it a chance. I gave her time to hang out with me. Mm-hmm. And this is indicative of just how bored my mother has been. <laughs> that she sat down and watched Doctor Who with me. <laughs> Two nights in a row. And her question was, so, like, what happens next? I'm like, well, they start a new story next week. And she kind of looked to me as if to go, huh? Now, I did make a comment on the Mission Log Discord. So mm-hmm. Mission Log podcast, the Star Trek podcast, done by John and Norm. Fantastic. If you haven't listened to it, 
highly recommend. Mm-hmm, definitely. I did make a comment that my mum may have been confusing our podcast with theirs. <laughs> because when I asked her again, like, you know, what were your overall thoughts yeah. on the story? She's like, well, what was the moral of the story, Trish? Like, what did it mean? And I'm kind of sat there going, uh, don't take shortcuts. Yep. I think. <laughs> I'm there going, this isn't mission log. You go to Norm and John for morals, readings and messages. We talk about characters. We talk about characters and just laugh incoherently yeah. at stuff. <laughs> so I, I did let the mission log guys know that uh, maybe my mom has been listening to their podcast on the sly as opposed to, as opposed to listening to ours. I'm still confused as to how the hell, like, you know, again, she thinks it doesn't, like, th- this doesn't explain you, but it explains me. <laughs> well, I'm her child and she loves me. And, you know, she sees all that I am. Mm-hmm. And she knew me before right. my interest in science fiction. Cool. She met you as a science fiction person. She adopted me as a science fiction person. She she adopted you as a science fiction person. This is true. This is the only version of you she has ever known. (laughs) And apparently this explains a lot of it. Grand. She did comment that, like, would you be doing a podcast on Dad's Army next? And I was like, I'm sure he would. Yeah. (laughs) I think she just finds it funny that we watch a TV show from the 70s. Yep. Um, Joe. And because I was saying that, like, you know, like, maybe our next podcast will be about MASH. And she was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Although I, she does like MASH. She was remembering yeah. all the characters from MASH. Yeah. And, like, you know, watching something from the 1960s, that's not even as far back as I go. Because, as you know, I'm a huge Marx Brothers fan. And that's 1930-odd onwards. Yeah. But she was saying that she's going to go back and, like, try and find, like, a movie from the year that she was born. And, like, make me watch it and see if I like it. <laughs> when 1955. If you're lucky, you can convince her that you've never seen 12 Angry Men. Hmm. Because that's a good I think she's going to try and look for a science fiction thing from 1955, so. But it's fine. She never will. This was a notion. She got at 11 o'clock at night. She was very tired. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. You know, are we, like, I I was going to say, are we including my mother's score in our overall calculations? But my mother's score was the same as mine. So I, I don't think we need to. I think if me and my mum had had different scores, I would have considered adjusting mine to be an average of the two of them. You said 2.75, right? No, 2.5. Straight 2.5. down the middle. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And I did it, 3.0. Yeah, I think this is like the lowest. I, I, this is the first time I've gone below three cents space pirates. Yeah. <laughs> Can't imagine just eat a boiled egg in peace. And this matches what you gave the Crotons. Right. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. So far, season seven has been meh. Like, I... like the average score is three point three three for you, three point one seven for me. Very much middle of the road. Yeah, it's like it's like. It had a very tough act to follow, I think, because yeah. season seven was so good. It was wonderful. Mm. And now we are just trying to, we're getting used to a lot of new people in such a short space of time. As we said, like, you know, we have Yates, we had Joe, we have the master, and they're concurrent. They're continually going. So yeah. at any given stage, like we may have to talk about Dr. Joe 
Brigadier Benton Yates Master, that's six people. Or we mm-hmm. might just have to talk about two. We don't know. Yeah. So, next week, where are we going? Next week, we are taking a journey to not so much time, but space. And we're going to actually visit a colony in space. Ooh, interesting. Ooh, very interesting. So, let's we'll just see how Joe likes being off-world for the very first time. Mm. It's going to be our first off-world in a long time. Yes. Looking it really is. It. I know. It's been a very long time. Don't start don't start fucking singing that song. <laughs> don't you fucking dare start singing that song on this podcast. <laughs> what? Just because you're saying it's a long time, that just reminds me that it was a long road getting from stop there it. to here. You know? Stop for the love of God, please stop. <laughs> yeah, so before she starts singing any fucking further, guys, from Trisha and myself and also Trisha's mom. Bye. Bye. <laughs>